0: Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pincavichus. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast number 109. This is Sunday, August 27th, 2017. And today's guest is uh, the Canadian organist uh, Francine nguyen Savaria, and um, she is from Montreal. Francine entered the piano class of the Conservatoire de Musique de Montréal at the age of 16. Two years later, she entered the organ class, studying under Jean Bouy. She graduated from the Conservatory in May 2011. Francine is the recipient of many prizes and scholarships, uh, which have allowed her to participate in the Mount Royal College Organ Academy in Calgary, Canada, and in organ courses studying with Jean Gallard in Paris and Sherry Road in Los Angeles. She completed her graduate studies at the University of Southern California in December 2013. Awards include the John Goss Memorial Scholarship from the Royal Canadian College of Organists and the Irene E. Robertson Music Scholarship from the USC Thornton School of Music. Francine recently performed the complete organ works of Johannes Brahms at the Calgary Organ Festival and Symposium. She also played with the Calgary Civic Symphony for the same festival. Uh, Francine has also given recitals at venues, including the St. Joseph Oratory in Montreal, the Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angels in Los Angeles, and the Cathedral Center of St. Paul Episcopal in Los Angeles. Francine has been music director for St. Ambrose Episcopal Church in Claremont, California, and she now lives with her husband in in Belleville, And they both serve as directors of music for St. Thomas Anglican Church. In this conversation, uh, we talk about uh, Francine's uh, organ playing uh, career and her practice procedures, her challenges. And the most important things that you will uh, get from this conversation are how Francine managed to overcome the challenge of uh, independence of voices in polyphonic compositions and how she deals with performance anxiety and of course how she manages time constraints let's go to the show thank you so much francine uh, for joining this conversation this is so wonderful to connect with you i know we'll be we'll be having another uh, discussion between your husband, Ma- Mathieu, right? And am I pronouncing his name correctly?
1: Yes, yes, Matthew.
0: Mathieu, Mathieu, Mathieu. Okay. And uh, and uh, but that will be later. Uh, but for now, I'm very curious to know uh, about your work, about your organ playing procedures, about the challenges that you are facing on your way to um, reaching your goals and this is wonderful thank you so much you're very very generous and welcome to the show thank you wonderful let's start our conversation francine with the story from your early days do you remember when somebody introduced you the organ to you and maybe you could share that story how you first fell in love with the organ
1: i actually fell in love uh, with the organ quite late uh, compared to other organists who might have started younger. Um, When I was young, I played the piano, and it's only after entering the conservatory in piano that I discovered the organ through some friends. So then I practiced with them, and I auditioned, and I switched to the organ. But prior to that, I had no history whatsoever with the organ.
0: Mm-hmm. So how, how old were you uh, when really uh, somebody introduced you to the organ? Uh,
1: I was 17 when I started uh, listening and practicing a little bit. But I really started playing when I was 18.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's That's an advanced age. But you uh, you probably had a good background in piano playing, right, before that?
1: Yes, yes, I did. Uh, I I played the piano for about 12 or 13 years before I actually switched to
0: the organ. Mm-hmm. So um, do you remember what was the first idea that led you to choose the organist profession? Why did you become interested with the, in the organ at all?
1: I remember... Finding that it was a very powerful instrument and also very intellectual. This is one of the aspects I really loved about the organ. It was something that I could uh, really set my mind on. Uh, also, all organs are different, so we have to adjust the playing to every single instrument. Uh, I also loved facing the well, the challenges of registration, of course, and then. Uh, how how to adapt to the different numbers of manuals Um, it it's also kind of music that's it's a it's a little bit more complex because we have to coordinate hands and feet so uh, i really love that aspect of intellectual challenge and
0: that's what drew me to the organ right this is probably the most intellectual instrument of all right because it it has those manipulations, those pistons and those intricate technical details. Not every organist is interested in the technicality, right? But for somebody who is technically inclined and very curious to know how the sound is produced in the organ and uh, what's happening inside of the instrument, it's really, really fascinating.
1: Yes, I, and I do love uh, finding about it. I do love exploring organs. I'm probably not very good at talking about it, but I do love finding out about it.
0: Right. And so do you remember what was the first organ that you touched and played?
1: Oh, the the very first that I touched and played was the one at the conservatory, a small study organ, um, mechanical action, a tracker organ, not very interesting, four stops, but... Uh, Really, I discovered it through larger concerts, instruments, uh, romantic organs. There was Notre Dame de Grasse Church in Montreal, and Uh uh, another one also, uh, Saint-Pierre-Apôtre, a church also in Montreal, where my professor used to teach. So those are large romantic instruments.
0: Right, right, right. Um... What was the first uh, organ that you heard, actually? That was probably before you even chose this profession, right? That was my earlier.
1: If my recollection is good, I think the very first that I heard would have been a small church organ when I went with my family to church, but I wasn't that interested and also uh, liturgy did not use that organ very much at that church in particular. So I don't remember that organ specifically that well, but then I would say I heard my friends playing uh, in concerts or for masses at various churches in Montreal. So it would probably have been Notre Dame de Grasse church
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, St. Jean-Baptiste church also.
0: Wonderful. So you say these are the romantic instruments, right? Yes, um, how mostly many, uh, romantic. They have?
1: How many stops? The manuals, uh, yes. Manuals, I would, I would know for the manuals. I would not know uh, from memory for, for the stops. But mm-hmm. for the manuals, uh, Notre-Dame-de-Grâce has three. Uh, Saint-Pierre-Apôtre has four. Saint-Jean-Baptiste has four. Mm-hmm. Uh, the conservatory organs, they had two, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, and smaller instruments, mostly two.
0: So you obviously are very much influenced by the French organ repertoire, right? In, in your upbringing.
1: Yes. Uh, of course, we all study um, Bach because it, it, it's it's like a staple repertoire for organists. But it really, I, I do love French romantic, and neoclassic
0: repertoire. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you remember the first piece that you played on the organ?
1: <laughs> yes, oh. well, it was a piano piece. It was mm-hmm. um, Bach's uh, first prelude in C major from the well-tempered clavier ah. because, uh, I, of course, I did not play the organ at the time, so it was just a friend who said, play something that you know, some Bach that you know, and then he had me add the uh, pedals. I would double the the left hand with the pedals. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I do remember that.
0: Did you did you add the um, solo pedal line from Ave Maria with the pedals at four foot level? At that no, time? Well,
1: uh, no, not even. Uh, I would just double the the bass from the left hand, and mm. then. Uh, Later on, when I actually started playing uh, the organ-taking lessons, I played um, Bach's Little Prelude and Fugue in B-flat major. I started learning that. Um, I played some Couperin, uh, Mest pour les couvents, and huh? uh, Berceuse by Louis Vierne. So those Was were my first pieces.
0: This sauce is very doable at the early age, at yes. the early because it has uh, not too many uh, um, pedals, I would say. You could add pedals, but it's very, uh, not very yes. obligatory. Mm.
1: Yes, and, and the, more, the more I studied, the, the more pedals I added, of course.
0: Mm. So by that time, of course, you are a well-rounded pianist, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what were the specific organistic challenges for you at this early stage?
1: Uh, well, there is of of course learning to to coordinate hands and feet, but I would say mostly it's the aspect of conducting every single voice separately. You know how on the piano a, a note would would die. So whether you you take it off at the exact right time or not uh, doesn't matter as much as it matters on the organ, because then if you let up let go of a finger. At, the wrong moment too late or too early it really shows we hear that that gap so the independence of fingers and the independence of every single voice I would say would would be the, the biggest challenge in technical playing and it, it's still today I mean I, I think it's always for even if we studied uh-huh. the organ for years.
0: Independence of fingers right? Yes. And voice, voices. Yes. And how do you overcome this challenge today, for example, uh, as opposed to uh, that young age, right? Uh, uh, basically, early age, not young age. Uh, you're, you're still young. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, when you first started and you are now a very mature organist, do you feel that you can tackle this problem of independence of voices better than earlier or not?
1: Sure, uh, it comes It comes with practice. Uh, I, I would say mostly today I'm more aware of where it will be difficult. Let's say I'm playing a piece and I will easily find where it, it is more difficult to do so. And so I will either isolate the section and practice it very slowly or um, sometimes I will even practice hands separately to make sure I will make sure I'm conscious of every note and every single uh, difference in articulation between the voices.
0: Mm -hmm. So those uh, two-step procedure, basically you, you working in fragments not long episodes, but fragments of several measures. Yes. And then you, you, you go and practice separate voices and maybe combinations of voices, right? Yes.
1: Yes. uh, I, also, I like to be comfortable in knowing uh, intellectually the score very well. So sometimes uh, in in pieces where I can do, so it, it's not all the repertoire, but some pieces, let's say um, Prélude Fugue et Variation by César Franck, then for that piece, uh, it happened that I would actually solfege, sing through one of the voices while playing with no stops so on on a mute manual and play the other voices with with stops so then i could really focus on if whether i I knew the line or not that well
0: Mm -hmm. you're talking about the variation part not not the prelude
1: yes well the prelude it works too with the prelude and it even works with the fugue uh i've i've been playing the fugue and singing uh focusing on solely let's say the alto voice and then mm-hmm. I, I make sure that i know that voice right so, and i think it helps in performance too because then if something happens and we lose focus uh it sometimes happened to me earlier on that i would play and lose focus and suddenly realize that i'm focusing on the line that i had not focused on during my practice i, I know it but i've not focused on it consciously and then it throws me off. So by doing that and making sure I have focus on every single line, then when it happens it's not as troubling as it would be if I hadn't.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're singing one voice, right, and playing others. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. But are you playing others with the sound or without the sound?
1: Uh with the sound mostly.
0: With- Mm -hmm. with
1: the sound it it, sometimes like in the variation we can mute one voice or in trio sonatas but or else it's it's too difficult to just mute a voice because all all the voices are on the same manual or something
0: but but you're right it's it's so um, although it's difficult but i think the benefit is enormous right for example Part and then you sing the alto part, and you only hear the bass line, but you have to imagine imagine the soprano part as well, uh, playing with your right hand. Yes, so helps your inner ear, right?
1: Yes, and well, I, and I think it, it's me. It, it depends on on the organist, of course, but I think personally, I rely a lot on my ear, so I, I like to know
0: <laughs> what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. What do you? What are you hearing, Francine? When you play, you say you rely on your ear. Do you hear separate sounds or phrases, or maybe even chords and tonalities, keys? Uh,
1: I I try as I work to improve all the time. I try to to be conscious of the as many aspects as possible. Uh, I would say mostly I hear fragments. Of melody, uh, it would travel from from one voice to another. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I would sing in my head some parts, and, uh, and let's say I'm singing the soprano, and then all of a sudden the melody or uh, another interesting part is in the tenor. Well, then I will have my attention going there so it's a little bit like having a melody that travels from a voice to another but this also includes um pistons if, if i have to here at the church it's uh it's a tracker organ so we don't have pistons but uh be conscious of some some chords or it, it depends it really depends on the piece it's mm-hmm. difficult to say
0: yeah, your 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 attention your and focus travels from one voice to the next, right? And, yes, uh, probably depends on which voice is more active, right?
1: Yes, yes, right. it depends on, on that, and sometimes uh, a voice is more difficult than another, or just the left hand is has jumps, or I don't know. I'm just saying things like that, but. Or, or the pedal line has a, a lot of movements, well, then I will have to focus on those, even though they are not the melody.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you like to focus sometimes on the accompan- accompaniment and uh, not uh, necessarily very melodically um, developed voices, but sort of secondary voices too?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, it, it's First, it's interesting. And second, I think that sometimes it's necessary because... Mm-hmm. If it's technically more challenging, well, then uh, I think it's important to to be conscious of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And it all basically helps to uh, make all those voices sound independent, right? Yes. In a, in a yes,
1: if necessary, of course. <laughs> it depends on the piece.
0: Exactly. So, uh, Francine, this is the biggest problem, right, for you. What is the second frag problem, uh, <laughs> Perhaps you have one more to share. Well,
1: I don't know. Uh, I think that that is not so much of a problem uh, as something that I want to improve and focus on because it helps me. I think that my biggest problem is actually performance anxiety, as many artists do. Uh I get stage fright, uh, and I have worked a lot to control it. And it has not always been easy.
0: Wonderful. Uh, (laughs) Perfect subject for discussion. Because (laughs) we all suffer from this, right? (laughs) Yes. So how was it for you at the beginning? Do you remember your first public appearance?
1: Yes, I do. Um, I was very nervous because it was my first time playing the organ. But at the same time, since it was my first time and it was also uh, a friendly environment, I think that I was so focused on what I was doing because I was not that familiar with the organ that it went quite well. I did not feel as nervous as as I thought I would be. Um, And then I had I had challenges through my university years. Uh, the environment was not always uh, something that would be supportive. So I had I had challenges with that. Uh, it I think it's the state of consciousness of my own performance anxiety. Uh, I would say would rise over some years until it became something that was so stressful that I was afraid to play even for service. So then I started to look into sports psychology to prepare performances. And I did meet with uh, psychologists over the years and uh, found out a series of elements that I could practice or integrate to my own preparation
0: so wonderful story from your early days Um, but then you kind of overcame this right Mm -hmm. are you playing in public today or yes of
1: course i am yes I, i am and i think everybody is uh to a certain extent i think that it is because it matters to me that I am nervous. If it wouldn't matter if I did not care about the performance I was offering, then then I would not be nervous because it would not be something important to me. But because I do care, uh, it it does make me nervous. So I I still feel some of it, but I think it's not as damaging as it used to be because... I do have now ways of dealing with it, but I don't think it's something that totally uh, goes away. Although I do love performing in public. So it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a paradox because we love something and at the same time, we're afraid of it because we don't want to um, do something that would be below our standards.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so interesting because we when we tend to practice by ourselves it's a relaxed atmosphere, right? Nobody is listening and looking. Yes. We do. We we try. We do our best. Maybe, maybe not our best. Basically, we, <laughs> right? But then, if any anyone stranger comes into the practice room, or even let's say professional organist, a colleague of us of yes. ours, then. If, if, if a friend uh, would come to, to the public recital that we're playing or it's church service and we know that he or she is downstairs, right? Uh, yes. Suddenly everything changes, right? Our yes. living uh, sort of uh, is uh, shallow, heart rate elevates, everything is sort of.
1: <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, combination of things. I found out that for me it's harder to play for people that I love than for people that I don't know at all mm-hmm. because there is no uh, emotional attachment to people that I don't know. So even though um, I, I would prefer not to, to give a bad performance, it's something that uh, would not matter as much to me as the, the feedback or, or even just the opinion of people that I do respect However, uh, sometimes when I practice, if I know that there's a performance coming up, um, mm-hmm. then it will be uh, some. There will be some pressure. I'm not saying that I will be that nervous, but there will be some pressure because I know that I'm preparing it. So I think the first step in overcoming um, my anxiety was to. Be aware of how I, prepare, I prepared my my performances, and then being aware of why I was nervous and uh, my thoughts and then finding alternate thoughts to replace those or um, reason the fear mm-hmm. of, of performing in public
0: you mentioned earlier Francine that uh, you sort of are nervous. Uh, When you feel that the performance is basically matters to you, right? That somebody listens, right, to you, Um, or somebody you respect listens, right? Uh, Somebody you look to, and then, of course, you you want to do your best, and therefore you are stressed out a little bit. Uh, Can you can you pretend in your mind, mentally, that it's not not a big deal? Basically, that it's just one more performance, right?
1: Uh, some people do. They said it worked. I have to say, for me, it did not work. I It doesn't work at all. I, I know the difference between what I pretend and the reality. So I'm too <laughs> conscious of the reality to uh, just pretend. But I do work on telling myself that It is not the only performance. It is one more performance, and it is where I am in my progress right now. It doesn't mean that later on it will be the same. It might be better. It might be worse. But I also know that this is not a one-time performance only, and we all evolve, and I'm trying also to remind myself that we all have better or less good moments Mm
0: -hmm. you know francine how some people can trick a lying detector right Uh, When they are tested are being tested Uh, so i was just uh, thinking whether we as performers can trick our mind and uh, basically make it forget that the situation is risky right so,
1: yes uh, I think we it's not that we trick our mind. I think that for me it's practicing something, so I will practice my focus hands also all singing all the lines. I will practice being in a certain state, and so when the performance happens, I try to do all those things that I have practiced and uh naturally. The first minutes will be difficult. I think everybody is has that kind of stress in first and last minutes of the performance. But then as it goes, I will find out that uh, I am not in a, tr- a threatening environment and that I can do the things that I have practiced. So I will feel more comfortable and the stress will, will fade, as I said, until the end where normally stress rises again because we d- we know that it's the end and we don't want to finish on, on wrong notes, of course.
0: That's a good point because <laughs> the end is coming, right? And you are uh, at the last uh, system or maybe last page of your organ piece or me- maybe series of compositions, right? You end <laughs> the recital. And you know that in a few seconds you will take a bow, maybe basically, and people will applaud. Uh, you tend to relax, right? Your, your work is done or almost done. And this word almost you tend to forget. And that's where it's. Yes. Most <laughs> so,
1: uh, well, I'm not somebody who forgets easily that part. So I will, I will be more mindful of, of the ending, but, uh-huh. uh, it, it depends on the performer. I've asked a lot of my colleagues and professors, uh, even, as I said, uh, psychologists. Uh, and, and there is no one answer to to the question. I think the first part is really getting to know ourselves and how we operate, and then finding the best ways to deal with
0: our own mind. <laughs> you know how, how acrobats in, uh, in circus, when they walk uh, on the line very high, yes. they say... The most dangerous uh, are the last three steps.
1: Yes, because Mm -hmm. uh, they they want to finish, but they don't want to race either. Racing might throw them off, yes.
0: Exactly. Well, that's an interesting uh, perspective. And uh, do you feel that... um, you can do some things physically to help reduce this anxiety, like breathing maybe. Yes,
1: the, I, I do have breathing uh, that mm-hmm. exercises that, that help. Um, also, it's a simple trick, uh, but standing or sitting very straight and being in a position of, I would not say power, but being in a position where we act as if we we had full control sometimes just physically reenacting those will help because the body also releases hormones right so it releases them to the brain and the the brain will react to to those hormones and so if we we are very straight and we act as if we were very confident. Well, then we send the message that we're confident. And uh, in a way it it does calm down the, the stress because we react to, to what our body does as well, even though it's not necessarily natural
0: at first. Good point. Good point. So you have to overcome the challenge of, uh, your voice independence, then performance performance anxiety, right? What, <laughs> yes. What else is, is tricky for you right now?
1: I don't think I I think in, in terms of what is tricky that much. I think that what happens is just I take the work I have to do, then I see what what needs to be worked on today, and then I practice that. And if, uh, if I find that some things uh, need to be worked on some more, then sometimes I will plan on the longer term how, how I will work with them. Um, maybe right now I would say that we have a very busy fall season coming up uh, for Mathieu and I. So it's the load of repertoire that needs to be learned and uh, practiced So just making sure that I have time for everything, that I will not rush into learning peace at the last minute, Um, just time constraints. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: With the church work, that might be also a constraint because uh, we do work with choirs as well and uh, just the administration of the music program at the church. So it's making sure that we have time to do everything that we take on uh, to serious standards, if we're going to present those in public.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, when, when you are dependent on, on, on some deadlines and other people are involved in your team, right? Sometimes yes. You tend to, sometimes you tend to perform better, right? Because you manage your time better. You yes. try your Time better.
1: Yes, uh, I think, um, well, Matthew is a fantastic time manager so I would have to say that mostly um, he decides on the schedules and uh, uh, I I have nothing to say really it it goes well but uh, for the most part uh, sometimes uh, if I have other challenges uh, if I have other things going on in my life well then I, I might tend to procrastinate so I will make sure that I don't, but then it requires uh, willpower. So I will, I will mind myself to a schedule and work on those.
0: Mm-hmm. What is your favorite time of the day to practice? Do you have one? Uh,
1: I think it's the morning, mm-hmm. but I would not be quite sure it would be my favorite time if uh, I had that much of a choice. So right now, it it just happens to be the morning because I'm easily ready to practice in the morning. And then because we have choir rehearsals uh, in the afternoon or the evening during the year, although now it's the summer and we don't have them, uh, it's just easier to keep that routine. So I practice in the morning. And often with Mathieu, we practice every day as a duet. So we practice also... Um, in the late afternoon when uh, he's finished with his own personal practice.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll save the discussion about your organ duet practices. <laughs> you can join us later, right? Sure, uh, yes. This is a fantastic subject too. And uh, and his own perspective would be wonderful to share. But we'll, we'll, we'll wait. But for now, uh, do, you, do you think that people have to have um, like a constant practice schedule to make like an appointment with him, herself or himself in the morning or in the afternoon and write down in the schedule book.
1: (laughs) I I don't think so, but I think it depends on your personality. Um, I think that for me, it works best and for Mathieu as well, because uh, first of all, our schedule at the church is already quite strict. So we, It's just easier to to have that. But for myself, I would say um, it's easier to take a habit if I make an appointment with the organ, writing whatever it is, every single day uh, around the same time. Um, One says that it takes a month to build a habit. So if I make sure that I do it during a month, then normally then it just becomes easy afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember having a little bit more of a hard time wanting to go to the piano and practice on the piano um, while Mathieu was at the organ uh, because I found that I had practice at the organ already in the morning. So when I went to the piano, it wasn't as interesting and, um, I procrastinated. I found other things to do. So at one point, I did reverse things and went to the piano first thing in the morning to make sure that I would do the piano and then go to the organ. Because I think that there's an act also of climbing those steps. We have an organ loft. So when we climb those steps and we're there and we're seated on the bench, the hardest thing is to do is to start. But once we're started, we get focused and, and it's easy. So uh, the piano, it was a little bit more difficult. So when I did that, I took the habit of practicing on the piano. And then it became something that was just a normal part of my day. And then it was easy to go back to practicing the piano a little bit later in the afternoon. And it, it wouldn't um, have the same effect of um being bored that, mm-hmm. that I would have early on. So I think, yes, for me, it helps to make an appointment with myself at specific times and have a routine, but it, it depends on the person.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people are very free with their schedules, perhaps uh, like, you know, free artists, right? And uh, they tend to, uh, rise up sometimes late sometimes early mm-hmm. yes they are free, but but nevertheless the, the 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 difficulty still is as you say sitting down on the organ bench and um
1: yes with, well uh, that's and what and happens uh, you, you know well i happen to have several interests well so that book will be interesting or uh that new recipe might be interesting and and it's too easy to say oh well I will practice later it's okay today well during the year with with the choirs and everything of course I don't have that kind of luxury but during the summer it would be too easy to say well I I will practice a little bit later today. I have the time today. Oh, I will go after dinner. But then it never happens because then we find excuses. We're too tired, um, have other things to do, that phone call, etc. So I just find it easier to just book (laughs) the schedule and then go.
0: Well, exactly. Uh, And obviously having this external accountability is very good, right? Uh, When you have the deadline, when you know that yes. other people depend on you, you mm, tend yes. to and find time to do preparation and practice more often, regularly.
1: Yes. Well, a, a lot of people will say that uh, I am my, my worst critic. I, I am harder on myself than, than anybody else would be. So um, I feel guilty if I haven't practiced um uh, whether i'm accountable to another person or not i just feel guilty that i haven't um, met my standards so because i love that feeling (laughs) i will do my best not to have it and therefore i will practice
0: (laughs) this is professional attitude by the way right (laughs) it doesn't matter whether you get paid to do this right Uh, perform uh, as an organist it doesn't matter it's all in our minds
1: Yes. Yeah, so, well, it depends on the person, but I think for me it is yes. I, mm-hmm. I tend to set my standards high enough that I, I don't want to fail in, in a way to meet them because I, then I I, I don't like um, thinking that I have just been lazy. <laughs> I don't know if, if that's clear enough, but.
0: Yeah, 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 Francine. What could you recommend to an amateur organist who is not working at church, for example, and and uh, and this is just a hobby, right? Organ playing is mm-hmm. this hobby, but still, still, they they find it difficult to to sit down and practice. Do you have any suggestions how to overcome this challenge?
1: I will say. Uh I don't know the person, so I will just say general things, but let's say um, first find a moment um, and try to keep the same. I think that that helps. Then just start doing it. Really start doing it um, and make yourself accountable for it for a month because it's it's really what it takes to build habits. So start doing that start practicing just start and then find a method to um for me it's working in smaller sections slowly so when i do that uh, i know exactly what i'm doing sometimes people um, procrastinate because they don't know where to start who Mm -hmm. just pick a little piece of something work on it slowly and just get into the habit of working um Some will also say that there are several books on on how to build habits, but some will also say uh, try to have something that will reward you in the end. Um, So I don't know. I don't drink coffee, but maybe some people like coffee. So uh, I don't know if they would be able to play without the coffee, but let's say they do, then practice first and have that cup of coffee later. So then you, you get that reward from having practiced, so it it depends on on the person, but trying to build a habit takes uh, about a month and uh, finding a moment, often linking it with something else that is already in our daily routine will help. And uh, be patient and make yourself accountable for at least that one month and, and then see, normally it just becomes easy after a month.
0: Uh, it's just positive uh, reinforcement, right? You mentioned coffee, or yes, or a small treat, right? You deserve something. You do some something that is hard and difficult, and you then reward yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like, yes, you uh, I
0: think for it. For
1: I, I think it works. Uh, I, I I've not gone so far as. Um, Uh, making food my my treat (laughs) but it's uh i think it, it works in a way to just um find something that will be a reward from from having done the work that needs to be done even if it's only to to tell yourself that you've overcome
0: uh
1: that that challenge of not wanting to practice today sometimes it's enough
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know uh, you said very wise thing about about uh, you know not not necessarily making uh, food uh, your treat but you can reward yourself internally right just by doing this task and achieving some some small yes result, right like a victory this yes i
1: like- think i think that works for me uh i i practice in when I master a difficult section, then I feel that my practice time has been worthy. Now the problem happens when a practice does not go as well as uh, we intended it to go, and then we feel that we have not done anything. Well, just saying, well, uh, then I have practiced today and I have done my best. um, And knowing also because of how the brain works that, tomorrow I might have integrated some of my practice today that I'm not aware of right now um, will also help.
0: Mm-hmm. You've done the difficult part. You sit down and, and practice. You've done the yes. work. And,
1: and I, think, I the... think that the most difficult is to sit down, really, because then after you just get focused and you just get into it, and, um, and then two hours go by and, and we don't feel them going by. Unless, I don't know, it's too hot like it is right now in the church. But uh, apart from that, I, I think that the most difficult is just to get there.
0: Wonderful. So Francine, you mentioned your your early memories with your organ playing. I don't recall you mentioned your mentors. Could you mention who? Is there anybody in your life uh, who taught you those things and you could uh, acknowledge them there? Um,
1: I, well, I do have professors uh, that, I, I, of course, I, I'm very grateful to. So I have Jean Le Buis who taught me at the Montreal Conservatory, and Cherry Rhodes, who taught me at the University of Southern California. But as to just start, when I just taught it, um, it was a strange mix of colleagues, um, friends from the conservatory whom I knew through other classes and who just took interest and I think a simple pleasure in um, teaching a a pianist. So uh, mostly two people, the very first was my colleague Denis Gagné uh, from Montreal, who was in several theory and music history classes uh, with me, so we knew each other from there. And it's mostly he who made me discover the organ. And then um, Danny Wiseman, who taught me a little bit, he mostly prepared me for my audition. But then, other friends or uh, colleagues w- would just jump in with, without any kind of um, plan, or it-, it was just something that interested them. Uh, I do not recall, though, Mathieu giving me any lesson. <laughs> but he, I, I do remember him listening to my first attempts. Uh, but he, no, he, he never gave me any kind of advice. But mostly, anybody who who was playing the organ who and knew me would would just give advice, and some were contradictory. It, it was something else.
0: <laughs> so it's good that your mentors, uh, uh, you know, did a positive, uh, um, basically, influence on you. And if they are alive, you could share uh, this conversation to th- with them, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe they could also, you know. Uh, yes, like, well, they, uh, they
1: are alive, so uh, I I hope that uh, they'll be happy to hear that they have positively influenced me.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So Francine, uh, now remember your yourself at uh, where you when you were seventeen years old. <laughs> what would be number one advice to your former self that you could give today?
1: It's a good question.
0: I know. <laughs> this is uh, this is fun, right? You could think very deeply and this advice by the way would be like a like a wisdom, like an insight for uh, for thousands of organisms who will be listening to us uh, from 89 countries too. So, uh, not only you will be uh, advising and uh, and uh, saying v- good things about yourself, uh, about, uh, you know, how to, how to practice differently, maybe wisely, more, more efficiently. I don't know.
1: Uh, yes. Well, I don't know. I I would not know what I would say to my 17, 18 year old self. Um, but I know that a little bit later, I, I has, I had challenges that started, um, with uh, with anxiety, and I would say today, uh, believe in yourself. Don't um, don't take anybody's uh, advice or uh, comments uh, for granted, because you might not be somebody else, and you might not be in their minds, and they are not in yours. So do believe that you have everything that you need to overcome your challenges and uh, find ways. And I think that those ways are not always um, to be found with other organists. So uh, explore other resources, explore other fields. Don't only rely on organ professors or Uh, organists or um, organ mentors or anybody related solely to the organ world, but do rely on other fields as well, because sometimes there is wisdom to be found there as well.
0: Like you mentioned, you you took great wisdom from sports, right? Sports Mm -hmm. mentality. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: From Mm -hmm. sports, um, we can find a lot of TED Talks now on, on the internet, um, writers who, who have overcome the challenge of sitting and writing a book, uh, several artists uh, in, in other fields, uh, sometimes anybody in any field, uh, a searcher, a scientist, sometimes they, they might have interesting things that we can apply to music playing as well.
0: The broader we think, the the more profound we can become, right? As a human being,
1: I think so. I think so. I don't like to limit myself uh, to the organ, the organ practice, uh, to simply music making. I think that there's so much to be found elsewhere as
0: well. Wonderful, Francine. I think uh, we we will be very happy to to talk with Mathieu too, (laughs) and you together like uh, about your organ playing duets, uh, practices and your performances those kinds of experiences and maybe we could also uh, talk more about your work as music directors, right? Uh, yes, that's uh, what we do uh, for another uh, episode so thank you so much today, you, you mentioned so many great things, very uh, wise things like uh, challenging things like um independence of voices performance anxiety and of course managing time constraints <laughs> fundamental basically uh, human challenges that people uh, in our profession have to overcome every day so i hope people will be inspired to take your example every day example and basically just uh, sit down on the organ band bench that's the most difficult part probably <laughs>
1: Yes, well, thank you very much.
0: (laughs) And before we end, Francine, um, could you mention, uh, what is this uh, place online where people could uh, go and visit you and your work and uh, find out more about Sure.
1: So, uh, our duet website is p e r g u l ae.com. Dot,
0: dot com. Okay, I'll make sure I to include this link into the description of this uh, conversation that people could literally click and visit your website and support your work. Wonderful. Thank you, Thank you so much, Francine. Uh, I say until we meet again. Au revoir. And, sure. uh, uh Have fun practicing and. Uh, Overcoming performance anxiety, uh, do you have any public performances uh, public appearances coming up very soon? Uh,
1: we have some scheduled uh, for for the fall. so we have a performance with a string quartet as well in October. And then uh, Mathieu and I are currently working on a transcription of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony that we will perform in several places around uh, Quebec and Ontario.
0: I'm sure we'll be talking about that project too. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Francine. Thank you for your time. (laughs) If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Thanks for listening. I will catch you online really soon.